1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: After every weekend in Chicago, we hear about the death toll, how many shootings there have been and how many people have died, how many of them were so young. And after every weekend, police and local officials explain what progress we're making to stop the violence or not. There's almost certainly no one thing that anyone can do to halt the shootings and the killings, but there are efforts and approaches. And this weekend, we're going to look at what's called restorative justice. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. We're going to talk about an approach to reducing violence in the most troubled communities that focuses on repairing the harm done in more ways than one. Restorative justice is a concept that's been around for a while, probably even longer than there's been a name for it, and it can mean different things to different people. But there's an effort to help us better understand how it could have a bigger impact. In this half hour, we're going to look at restorative justice hubs. It's a collective approach with some of the people running and helping to guide it. As we've been uh, doing for months now, we are going to conduct this discussion via Zoom conferencing. My first guest is Elena Quintana. She is executive director of Adler University's Institute on Public Safety and Social Justice. The effort that they call RJ Hubs is a product of the Institute. Taffa Quintana has experience in violence prevention, mass incarceration, and surrounding issues, and... uh, Doctor, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. In in basic terms, how would you describe restorative justice?
1: So first I would say that the RJ hubs are a product of a collaboration of a number of organizations and that uh, the Institute of Public Safety for Social Justice really plays kind of a convening role. So um, I just wanted to make that clear so we don't take all the credit for it because it really is a, sh- a shared a, Um, Success. So restorative justice is a philosophy and it's at the root of this philosophy is that is the idea that we belong to each other and we need to do right by each other. And so there's a collection of practices that can take place in many different kinds of settings, whether it be in the community, within the criminal legal system, um, or in a school setting. There's lots of different places where restorative justice um, can be lived out in different ways and forms.
2: Now, if people, if everyday people have heard this term before, they may have visions of things like peace circles or offenders and victims facing each other and talking things out. I understand it's deeper and broader than that.
1: Yes, absolutely. So it's a very proactive approach that really wants um, community members to be able to work together in order to resolve conflict or be able to uh, engage, like, say, young people or um, in in better um, being involved in community in a way that's going to help them rather than harm them. And I think often you hear it in relation to... Um, the criminal legal system and about how young people can become embroiled in that but that's not really going to be helpful for them and there's many many studies that show if you keep young people involved in the community involved with and connected to people who care about them and activities that are good for them that that is a much better investment those are all restorative justice activities those are much better activities and investments for young people than in incarcerating them or um being more punitive with them.
2: And you're bringing up uh, something else I wanted to talk about, and that is that this is an alternative to incarceration. Uh, And when I've heard people criticize the concept, it's been that they sometimes feel that people are letting the offender off the hook. What do you say to those people?
1: I'm wondering, if Joshua, do you want to
2: talk about this? Okay, and this is Joshua Brooks, who is the uh, RJ Hubs coordinator here in Chicago. And he's been working more than a decade in violence prevention, youth intervention, community organizing, and more. So Joshua, thank you for being here. And let's talk about that. Yeah,
0: uh, thank you for having me, Craig. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people think that it's a slap on the wrist. and that there's no accountability uh, within restorative justice. But that's to the contrary. It's not a slap on the wrist. It takes a lot more work in order to repair harm than to punish. Um, It involves the community. It involves so much more than, um, you know, more linear approaches, more, you know, horizontal where everybody is involved to get together to talk about what happened and to find ways to repair it. So uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot, a lot bigger and a lot lot more accountable to um, to the person who has caused harm.
2: Well, and this is the goal is to find solutions. But how do you know which path to choose? You know, how is that decided in this process?
0: so um I mean you know restorative justice also you know like I said it repairs the harm caused by- c- crime and conflict and restores relationships uh and relationships is really key people who um who cause harm are less likely to cause harm to people who they know um to people who they're in right relationship with uh it gives them a sense that what they've done or uh, any harm that has caused is way bigger than um than than what they think it is. Because everybody is, it, 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 it says that everybody is part of it. You're part of the community. Um, I am because we are. So, uh, and that empowers community and it empowers uh, the people who are involved to do better and to come together and continue to see why, why a person done, did what they've done um, and not who did it. Um, and try to penalize them for doing it. Um, since we're
2: talking about this mostly in the, uh, in the criminal justice realm, um, what's the range of offenses that can be handled in this way? I mean, what are, we, what are we talking about in terms of, you know, what people have done?
1: I think it might be helpful a little bit to understand, like, what, it, what a punitive uh, approach to dealing with crime or harm might be. And in the United States, we're very big on kind of separating people, prosecuting them, punishing them, and isolating them. taking them outside of their community. Whereas in restorative justice, the whole idea is to invest in people so that they stop the harm, so that they are accountable for the harm, so that they are more connected to community members rather than less, which bring them a kind of longer term success in terms of you know, feeling like they belong in the community and they want to do right by their neighbors. And so accountability is very different in um, in this way, in terms of the way that people have thought about accountability is just solely punishment. Whereas restorative justice really thinks accountability goes both ways. As adults, we need to make sure that we invest in young people and that we are doing right by those young people. And even if they cause harm, we need to do everything we can in order to try to rehabilitate them and help them to live to their full potential.
2: Um, how difficult can, is it to get, first off, the offenders themselves to buy into that, that idea and to, to see the way through to changing how they think?
1: I think most people, like Joshua said, they want to be in right relationship with each other. And I think that when people feel such strong rejection, think about the school to prison pipeline, like 85% of young people that are locked up right now, 85% were first uh, suspended from school in second grade. That is a national statistic. And it is just, I was shocked when I heard that But we start um, marginalizing people in ways that are very destructive at a very early age. And we need to look at childhood trauma as a red flag. And we need to bring people that are in crisis closer to us rather than push them out into the margins and into an adulthood of incarceration.
2: Looking at the other side of the coin, and this may be a a question for Joshua, is it harder to get the victims or the community members to buy into this?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I mean the same thing. Uh, community, we all have a desire to, to be part, right? To be in a group, to be wanted, to be needed, to be valued, like we all do. In our media family, in the community, on the block, Um, It's one of the reasons why young people, you know, they they gravitate towards, you know, different groups in the community because they're like, hey, you know, I want to be part of this. Right. Um, And and that that goes for both those who have been victimized and those who have offended. They are all they all know that they're a part of this and they all desire. Most people desire to repair that harm. Um, And it's i mean I, I think when when people know better, they do better, or at least that's what the thought is and knowing that um that someone who has offended me right uh is willing to come at the table like I want to come at the table come to the table to actually talk with this person and see you know what's going on because uh if I don't and I think if most people don't, then there's fear attached to that, right you know it's the fear that this person is going to do it again but Uh, That creates conflict. And uh, where there's conflict, there's a lack of communication. Restorative justice provides that space for people to communicate, to open up that line of communication so that people can be heard and people can be understood, Um, which then leads to repair, leads to healing, leads to peace, leads to fun, to children actually prospering. You know, it's, it's such a beautiful thing.
2: Well, next I want to bring in Anthony Montoya, uh, who is also with us. He's been a program participant and, and we want to hear his story. Obviously, spoiler alert, it must have a happy ending because he is now an RJ community practitioner. But uh, but and thank you, Anthony, for uh, for being with us. Take us back to the beginning and explain how you became a part of all of this.
3: Yeah, Thank you. Um, well, growing up, uh, my parents worked a minimum wage job, so it was really hard for them to maintain me and my younger brothers. Uh, so growing up, my parents weren't home all, all day. So knowing that, I would always do whatever I wanted. Um, I had no guidance, and no one was correcting me. So everything I learned, I learned it by myself. Uh, I would always be outside looking for friends, and one day I came across these guys that would, you know, be on bikes just like me because their parents were through, going through similar situations. And we would always be outside, riding our bikes, going to the park, just hanging around, you know, just being kids. Uh, as we grew older, we entered high school, and I was the oldest one out of all my brothers, so no one really taught me anything about high school or what to expect, you know. So when I entered high school, everything was brand new to me. One of my friends, he ended up joining a gang, and then my other friends en- ended up joining the gang also. Um, and they started hanging around with the gang members rather than me and my other friends. So we both decided in order to, you know, keep this close bond together, we had to join it. So we ended up joining the gang. You know, at first, um, whenever I joined the gang, it was pretty weird to me that the things that they were doing, but sooner or later, I started picking up their habits and I started becoming a gang member um, at age 16. I got I got incarcerated for a crime, and I got put on house arrest, and I got assigned a probation officer. Um, luckily for me, I had a really resourceful, really great uh, probation officer that helped me out tremendously. She connected me with various resources, especially she connected me with an organization in Little Village called Urban Life Skills, where we were assigned some mentors, and every, every week we would, you know... Talk as a group, and every month we will meet up individually to achieve our goals. And they started, and the, uh, they started um, planting seeds in our brains that helped us think deeper than we originally were thinking. Uh, my mentor, seen my willingness to uh, to learn, so he started taking me to different organizations. He took he took me to this uh, youth restorative justice hub um, that was being directed by uh, Brian echoes, and I got to meet the guy, and he started. We started learning about restorative justice and what it meant to, to have restorative justice, um, and how to use it in our day-to-day lives at work, um, in the criminal justice system, and it really, you know, opened my mind to, to think beyond, um, what I originally was thinking. You know, as a gang member, usually, dehumanize other gang members that are not part of your gang. You know. And through restorative justice, you start understanding that these people are just exactly like you. You just grew up in different parts of the city. And that that was really helped me out tremendously, you know. And um, many of my friends that didn't receive this type of uh, knowledge uh, ended up in jail. And we grew up all together, you know. And they either didn't get put on probation and didn't get the chance to experience what I experienced. or got put in these programs too late. But uh but right now, uh, through all my involvement in them, I've been able to um to do many things in in the community right now, especially in, in Little Village working with uh with younger guys and um, working as a career coach. Well, and I'm gonna
2: wanna ask you some more about that that change where you're one of the people Bringing this to other people in just a second. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore, and we're talking about restorative justice as a way to help reduce violence and mass incarceration in Chicago. My guests are Elena Quintana, Director of the Institute on Public Safety and Social Justice at Adler University, Joshua Brooks, the Restorative Justice Hubs Coordinator, and RJ practitioner Anthony Montoya. And we are recording this interview via Zoom conferencing. And let's talk a little bit about that, because going from a participant to someone who is actively bringing this, spreading this, that's a a big jump for someone to make. What was it that made you want to do this for other people?
3: Well, growing up as a kid, I didn't know anything. I, I didn't have no guidance, so I really didn't know anything, like from high school to gangs, you know, to simple things in life. And having somebody to help me out really inspired me to help out other young guys that also didn't have the type of guidance I had. Many of these guys you don't have fathers, don't have uh, someone in their life that's a positive role model. And they go out searching for, for other role models and sometimes end up seeing the wrong role model in their life. Um, but yeah, just basically uh, being part, being and experiencing what it is to be out in the streets and not knowing anything, you know.
2: Um Joshua Brooks, can you tell me what some of the solutions would be? And and you know, obviously it's going to be different in every case, but give me an idea of what an outcome is that leaves both sides feeling good about the process.
0: So it's it's uh you know going back to it is is it's uh beginning that relationship process and being you know, a right relationship is not like you know, they get together and they talk about it and then they leave, but then they get together, they talk about it and they work together and you know, they, they look for ways to help others. They look for ways to help themselves. You know, um, being part of restorative justice process is very revealing, it reveals a lot about you know, the pain that was done to you um, if, you're, if you're inflicting pain on, on, on someone else. And it goes back to think about the needs of the community Um, You know, the things about the restorative justice hubs, one of the pillars is accompaniment. You know, it's not just, uh, you know, I enter here into the circle and I exit out. No, there's walking with this person, this young person. There's uh, making sure that the community has resources. There's organizing um, to make better change for, you know, social justice issues and systemic harm that has been brought upon uh, communities. It's really empowering communities those are usually the outcomes. Those are usually the results. Uh, Anthony, um, you know, he's given good examples of a person who um, who has been through this process, and not I, I don't really want to say it's a process, but he's been through this, and he now he's living it. Right? It's not restorative justice isn't a program per se. Uh, it's a way of life. You know, it's a philosophy. It's something that people walk by and uh, walk towards. Elena, you you wanted to say something.
1: Yeah, I mean, Anthony mentioned the, the need and the restorative justice hubs that were so um, instrumental in changing his life and really helping him to think in a different way. And I think it is so important to think about investing in community and restorative justice hubs and the work, restorative justice work as a way to really fortify communities that have been largely decimated by mass incarceration. We have really invested so much in criminalization of communities of color in Chicago. And this is a way that we are actually actively fortifying communities in a really positive way. Restorative justice works, investing in young people works, and it really invests more in public safety in the long term. Than just a you know than just a um, an arresting or whatever you know the, the criminalizing um, young people and so I just wanted to t- speak a little bit to how important and powerful it is to, to invest in young people and to invest in the infrastructure to decarcerate communities.
2: Where is this working well? Where, where and and how is it working? well?
1: So, oh, go ahead, Joshua.
2: Well, jump off, jump off, Joshua.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, I do want to uh, talk about the restorative justice hubs. I mean, it's it's working across the city. Um, the restorative justice hubs, like we're not we're in no way uh, the you know the the overseer of restorative justice in in the city of Chicago. We're um, we're people. It's community led. Um, and it's, and it's by the community, you know, people who are in the hubs and working to do good is from uh community. Um, and these are places that are welcoming. There are safe spaces inside communities where young people can come, young people and families can come um, to talk about some of their issues and to repair harm and uh, to provide those areas where, uh, where they can move forward as community. Uh, so, you know, and as far as like even circles and keeping circles, there are all different types of circles that's happening through some of these restorative justice hubs. Um, not just peace circles, but also support circles, women of color circles, LGBTQ circles. There's just uh, you know young men circles. It's it's the circle thing is is all about gathering, and the hubs provide that space and that opportunity for that to happen and to build human potential in youth. Uh, so it's not you know just solving the problem, but Um, living towards preventing the problem from happening.
2: How do you measure whether or whether you're doing good? How do you, how can you say, look at this, this makes us a success?
1: One of the things is we look at how many people are, um, actively engaged in our work with mentors within the restorative justice hubs network and there's seven organizations throughout chicago you can go to rjhubs.org to learn more about them and you know at the beginning like even just five years ago in 2016, there were only four hubs. We saw about 750 young people a year. But <clears throat> this year in um, 2020, we now have 37 over 3,700 participants. And so there's tons of people engaged for over 76,000 hours of engagement time with young people. So the engagement is there in positive activities. But on top of it, we're also looking at things like, um, did you receive the kind of help and support that you really needed? And last year, for example, there were you know, about 80% of people who came in wanting to work on furthering education goals, and they did further their education goals. Um, And about 35% stated that they wanted to um, work on employment goals, right? So, and they did. And 20% did both, right? So, um, we have kind of a a focus on what people are able to do. This year, there has been a tremendous focus on helping thousands of people get food and shelter and address kind of basic crisis and need. And of course, we are constantly, we do feel like addressing these types of needs is also investing in addressing violence. Because when you, take out all of the kind of emergencies in people's lives. It allows people to be able to engage in more pro-social activities. There's less um, fear and conflict um, that happens.
2: Are there people that it's just harder to reach with these kinds of ideas? Because I mean, I'm thinking of you know, some of the violence that we've seen in recent weeks have involved frankly people young some young people who have weapons not caring about actually who gets hit and that seems to be a different type of person than we were dealing with you know maybe a decade ago
1: so one of the things we talk about that this is a science-based approach because we are very steeped in the adverse childhood experiences Um, study and research that has gone on to really understand that hurt people hurt people. Those that have been exposed to the highest amount of trauma are the people who are also more likely to hurt others around them. We are very proactive about, about trying to put it in that light, because in the way that you said it, we are need to leave the age of the super predator behind us. That is no way to talk about young people. And we are actually throwing away potential, I mean, vast amounts of potential and talent when we look at young people through that sort of a lens. And so the restorative justice hubs very much join with people and say, draw them closer. Instead of throwing them farther away, we draw them closer. And research has shown that that is what makes a difference. When people have hope, when they have help, uh, when they actually need it and in the way that they need it and when they can talk honestly about the difficulties in their lives to someone who is not judging them and able to help them with very tangible things. And all of those things happen within their sort of justice hubs.
2: How much does this kind of effort cost? And I know that I, you know, there's got to be like fifty different ways of, of measuring that. But really, what kind of resources are we talking about?
1: So I want to say, you know, the people that that I saw um, a saying the other day that I think is very true, and it said. The safest communities are not the communities with the most police, they're the communities with the most resources. This really is a balanced approach. We need a balanced approach because we need for there to be more more resources and answers to problems or questions than just a criminal justice approach. We really need there to be mental health supports, quality education, out of school time activities, employment, all of those things are so important and that's how the restorative justice hubs are very instrumental, not only in making sure that that those resources become more available to the people who need them most, but also in making more of those um, types of things actually come alive like for example there's legal services through the hubs there's housing and and employment i mean there's all sorts of things that we can advocate for or actually offer and that is what really changes and transforms people's lives
2: that is going to have to be i'm so i'm sorry joshua it's going to have to be our last word because we are in fact out of time I knew this was going to go quickly. Uh, I'd like to thank Elena Quintana of Adler University and Joshua Brooks and Anthony Montoya from RJ Hubs for joining us. To our listeners, if you want a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There should be a link at the bottom of the page. Otherwise, follow the podcast link. You can also find our podcast on radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then. I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.